Shall we get on with something that is both wonderful and super at the same time? I think we should. To quote the great Harry and Paul from their recent uh, episode on uh, BBC Two. Fantastic. <laughs> Barry Cryer. Ba- Barry Fry, um, Not Barry Fry, that's the Peterborough chairman. Barry Cryer. Barry Cryer, who then became um, Barry Hill, <laughs> who then became uh, Barry Hellajonti or something like that. Fantastic. Anyway. You're an old man before you tell, I tell you. Oh, so, I don't know. Oh, I just, yeah, maybe. Hi everyone and thanks for joining us. We are at the 10th episode of the Outside Centre Film Podcast. Rolling along <laughs> on the crest of a wave. Even though, even though Paul, um, only nine of these are available on iTunes, but the first one was dire anyway. <laughs> the films are shit in it. And I'm so. still wearing the same t-shirt. So yeah, so fair. nothing's changed at all really. <laughs> um, we've got reviews of um, an Australian slasher Laotian. Uh, Laotian? How do you say? To I'd say Laos. Laos. Yeah, it's just a Laos, Laos. film. Yeah. Although it's not a slasher film. No, it's not a slash film, no. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it might have been better. So, so, <laughs> we'll save that for the review, I think. Uh, the Rocket, anyway, it's called. We'll be talking about that in a moment. We'll also be looking at a story of Yonosuke, or as we'd say, a story of Yonosuke. Mm-hmm. I prefer the Japanese pronunciation. Uh, also, a Canadian-French film, Gabrielle. Mm-hmm. And uh, South Korean film Nobody's Daughter Hey One. Yes, that is this is the Outside Sensor film podcast. <laughs> I doubt it. And we do need to point out that every one of these was your. It's my choice. revenge. All of these are my films. Uh, you got that to look forward to. Um, but uh, we'll also be looking back, as we always look back, Paul, at something old. Now this time we tend to look back at people that have either died or just someone's career in general. But we're actually going to look at an, an individual film this time. We are indeed. That you actually wanted to review. In amongst the four films that you chose on episode nine. But you said no. I said no. Because it was too old. It was too old. Because we've got plenty to be getting Bastard. on with from 20... <laughs> we've got plenty to be getting on with from 2012 onwards. And this is a film from 2010, which actually, if you think about that was the last World Cup. And, and the new one's about to start in a couple of weeks. That is actually quite a long time ago. Who won the last World Cup? Spain. Uh, Spain, yes. Spain, with the Torres yeah. goal, if I remember right. Yeah, so maybe. He's a legend, um, isn't he? So, we'll be looking back on the Swedish film Sound of Noise that you absolutely love, and I'm going to be inquisiting all about why you love it so much. But first, mm. but first, Paul, we've got news. Oh, come on then. The Cannes Film Festival happened. It did. What happened? What happened? The Cannes Film Festival was very interesting for a number of reasons. I think in, in Britain they gave a lot of praise because Timothy Spall won Best Actor for Mr Turner. Right. Which is by Mike Lee. And I must lay my card... Mike Lee should not be allowed to make films. (laughs) I think there's only one person who should not be allowed near a movie camera, or actors, and that's Mike Lee. I think he's... he's, uh, (laughs) And I know a lot of actors who feel that way. I know know we often don't start off on saying what you really think on these podcasts, but just this once, Paul, why don't you just be honest about Mike Lee and what you think about him? I feel that he has uh, betrayed, destroyed and exploited the working class in his films in a way that is quite despicable from a kind of lower middle class bourgeois perspective. (laughs) That means he should not be allowed ever to make a film again. Having said that... I like Tim Spall. I like Tim Spall. I do. I I love Tim Timothy Spall. His only problem is is he keeps appearing in Mike Lee films. But I do genuinely think uh, Timothy Spall is fantastic. But if we look back at at the big winners... Right. uh, Basically, it's Winter Sleep and The Wonders. 
probably, I'd say, two films that you'll never see in England. (laughs) (laughs) One is a lengthy uh, Turkish drama that examines the divide between rich and poor. Well, we'll give this a a crack while we're poor. (laughs) Yeah, we'll give it a go, uh, on the basis that no one in Britain will have seen it, or will ever see it. And, And so, but it does sound very, very interesting. It's about a former actor... Obviously, someone who'd given up acting because of Mike Lee, who now runs a mountain top hotel, and it's failing magic. And it looks like a, a really interesting and exciting film. And by all accounts, it was the best film in Cannes by far. We'll learn a bit more about the Turkish class. Indeed, I'm indeed. not sure what any of us know about it. And I certainly don't. And know there's a lot of religion, I imagine, comes Excellent. in there and class. East versus West. I'll indeed, hope. all that kind of stuff. And then the other one was the Wonders. Which uh, looks like a less interesting film. It's a, it's a, I think it's an Italian film about uh, of, about this kind of family and their relationships. That looks a little less interesting. I think what will be interesting is to see the wonders, not the wonders, Foxcatcher, Foxcatcher, which right. got best director because right. that will come out in British cinemas, right. probably the mainstream, as it's got uh, quite big actors in it. Uh, the guy Tim Tim, who's those two brothers, Hemsworth. I think one of them's in it. Anyway, <laughs> I did look it up, but I've forgotten. But it's a wrestling murder film. Hello. Uh, based, based on true, right. true story about an American billionaire who took up funding wrestling, the Olympic wrestling team yeah. in America. Yeah. And uh, then he decided he, he kind of like to disintegrate into a kind of mental health. And then he shot one of the global American wrestling stars. Uh, dead on his driveway oh, yes. uh, and it, it's all really very very strange American? yes has to be doesn't it American and so I'm actually looking forward yeah, to that yeah that sounds interesting and it's, Another it's sport, Steve Carell in a serious right. role and right. it's interesting because I quite like his comedies if you if you empty your brain of any intelligence uh, I quite like him as a serious again yeah. I like him as a serious actor though actually but what, I he's, think, what he's done is quite tell quite, me what's he done as a serious um, actor Eternal no not United um, oh. the, the other Sunshine or Little Miss Sunshine Little Miss Sunshine he was alright in that he's the weak link in that film but he is but who wouldn't yeah. be a weak link with Steve Arkin well, Alan Arkin Alan Arkin absolutely um, so Steve's his boss so, <laughs> so, <laughs> they killed at first this has been an absolutely abysmal start to the podcast. Let's hope it no, gets it better. Hasn't. No, it hasn't. And <laughs> but I, I think uh, there's a lot of other interesting films, and I think the special prize went to The Salt of the Earth, mm. which is a documentary by Vin Vendors and Juliana Sargaldo. It's about a photographer who goes up and down South America filming it, and he has done for the last 40 years. We will do that one because I think it looks a fantastic. Uh, and we're not we are not against documentaries. Absolutely, so absolutely. And then I think the only other one I would mention would be uh, a couple of others actually. Juliana Moore for Maps to the Stars, which is another Hollywood film. She's still alive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder how, how rough as how she's going to be looking like now. Well, it's funny because she's she's one of those actresses you either love or you hate. Yeah, and I'm not going to tell you which side I veer on, but I'm looking. Forward to the film, despite her being in it. <laughs> so, uh, well, at least Mike Lee's not directing it. And of course, if uh, indeed, indeed, uh, and of course, the other return of Jean-Luc Godard, right, one of the this is, this is the story that piqued my interest the most. And he's about four hundred years old. Now, right. so it's got. And you've seen all of his stuff, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I feel five hundred years old. <laughs> But they are all the ones I would mention, except for the last mention, and it was Un Certain Regard Award for Best Actor, 
went to David Gulpilly for Charlie's Country. And I would say that we must do, because a number of reasons. That actor is, is very famous to British audiences. He was the young lad in Walkabout. Right. The early 70s yeah. film with Jenny Agata, which most people remember for Jenny Agata getting a kit off. <laughs> Especially teenagers in the 70s. Was I a teenager in the 70s? I think so. And so that was... A, but it's a Rolf de Herr film. Have you seen any Rolf de Herr? I haven't, no. There's, there's his, his first... His Dutch. Major, I take it with a name He's like Australian. That. Oh, he's Australian. He's an Australian uh, Dutch extraction. Right, gotcha. But he's done two, you know my preference for disability films, he's done two of the great disability films. One of them was called Bad Boy Bubby, which if you haven't seen, you must get, because it is an absolute journey into a kind of nightmare world of kind of uh, the underworld of Australia through uh, a disabled person. And it's not about disability, but it is, and it's fantastic. And then he did another film about a woman in a wheelchair called, what was it called? Uh, Dance Me To My Song. And again, 1998. And he rarely makes films. This is the other thing. It could be because I think his films aren't very commercial. I presume they don't. I think your descriptions have, have painted that picture they quite don't, nicely. But they're fantastic. Yeah. You will love Bad Boy Bobby. You must watch Bad Boy Bobby. Uh, to the extent we could pretend it's a re-release and review it. But I'd love to know what you think. Cause, so the return of Rolf de Herr, and his film is called Charlie's Country, and it's about, basically, it's about the treatment of mm. Aborigines. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of films like that, but his will be special and interesting and challenging, and there's nothing conventional. Oh, in front of me, I've got the line, TV film Jack Irish, quite enjoyable. Now, quite, <laughs> quite enjoyable and Jack Irish... Don't fit in the same thing with me. I thought Jack Irish was an abomination. So it, he, if he's in that, he can count no, me out watching this new garbage well, you want to well, he's in, he is in one of the Jack Irish films, but then it's Hugo Weaving is, and I'm, I'm sure you like well, Hugo. Well, who, who doesn't? Yeah, so, you know, right. he, he's in a Jack Irish film, so it, it doesn't really matter. Nice. But it's just an example of, of what else he's been in. But Charlie's Country is, to me, the big thing that's coming out of Cannes that we must review, must watch... And again, it'll be one of those films. I doubt if it'll be released here. I'm sure. I, I don't know. We'll see what Curzon Cinemas do. Because Curzon are the arty folk. They do get the stuff. And um, if they get it, then you can bet you can bet your bottom dollar that a rental service will pick it up yeah. and we'll be able to pick yeah, it up. So yeah. that, you know, we'll, we shall we shall see. And we do have Australian links, so we do get the occasional yeah, so. Including the one we're going to review in a bit. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah interesting stuff. Uh, before we move on, very quickly on Tim Spall winning that, I liked his speech. It's yeah. a very moving speech, actually. Forever the, forever the bridesmaid, never the bride. And he came home and he celebrated with fish and chips in a Whitstable cafe. Absolutely. Somewhere. So, you know, I, 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 I like the guy. And I, I think we should probably do that film as well. Just, I just, I just want to get... <laughs> I'm banking on doing it. I'm banking on doing it. <laughs> it. It just depends which one of us is going to choose it as one of their two, really. And I don't think it's going to be you, somehow. Oh, no, I'm, I, I love reviewing his films because there's lots to say. Just to talk about, that's yeah. almost entirely negative. Speaking of entirely negative, lots of things to talk about, mm. something else that happened in the news recently, Paul, was, for, was that for the first time in six years, in their infinite wisdom, Empire opened up voting to the public mm. to name the 301 greatest films of all time. I think it'll be more than six years since I do it again, Paul. That's all I can say. Um, and I, I don't want to go. I, I don't want to offend 
Empire voters and Empire readers too much. They deserve it. They deserve, they deserve it, it, except for the ones that I know have downloaded us, <laughs> because they are targeted people. Um, hello, everybody. Well, I'm sure they picked the excellent films. I'm sure they the picked list. the ones from positions 301 to 307, <laughs> the decent films on the list. Otherwise, this is your top 10. Mm. <laughs> Inception, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is reasonably acceptable. Jaws, uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship, Star Wars Episode 4, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, reasonably acceptable. The Dark Knight in number 3. You love that, don't the you? The Dark Knight at number three, <clears throat> Godfather, number one, is Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back as the greatest movie of all time. What is this to say, Paul? It's, uh, well, the, the thing to say <laughs> is that at least Pan's Labyrinth is in the top ten. <laughs> at least, well, how <laughs> many Pascal were bat films are on this list? Um, none, actually, so that'll suit me. It's. I think it's a really interesting list because most of them are are films you can enjoy yeah. if you're a regular cinema guy. There's nothing great about the top ten. No, absolutely uh, not. And I would even say The Godfather is overrated. It's more of it was. It was the first big film of its kind, but there'd been a lot of gangstery kind of films before. And equally, parts two and three were equally as good. So yeah. to single the first one out is yeah. a bit unfair. So and in fact. You know, they turn it into a TV movie, which was probably better because it included all of it. But if you look at all the list, you know, and I think you and I have seen virtually everything on the list. Yeah. There aren't that many arty ones. The few that there are stick out, like 400 Blows by Truffaut, all of those kind of things. But it's... it's a big lack of foreign language films. There is a big lack which of is, which is Which is what the point I wanted to make. Indeed. This is why we're here. Because people who have voted for this... Don't clearly watch foreign language films enough. And we're, what we're trying to do with this podcast is to get people interested in reading subtitles on their films. Indeed. Well, it would help if they could read. Well, the, the, that's, that's, <laughs> that's harsh. That's, apart from the people who, um, who, 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 who downloaded to us. Well, I that, they need to be able to read to, be able to get a podcast. To, to, to find us on iTunes, yeah. So that's probably, yeah, that's probably right. Though. So the first one is, in fact, Pan's Labyrinth. Well, he, they, right? they kick off the top 50, yeah. And that's the um, first foreign language that, that, one I think so, list. to that point, yeah. So Which is quite uh, damnation, really. I mean, I'm a huge fan of it, as you know, but uh, it's not its not known for its language, that film, put it that way. And they're um, all terribly kind of like late 80s, 90s onwards. There's not a lot, apart from some of the 70s films. Interesting that, how that Aliens is, is above Alien. I mean, I mean it, this is... It, but there's only two positions between... I, I prefer Aliens. But I'm sure, I know, but... I, I, you yeah. know, I think the last one was... Not the last one, that was just recently. That was just an abomination. Uh, but I mean, clearly, the the issue with this list is there are far too many recent films from the past ten years, and and and, and there has not there have not been any great, truly great masterpieces, in my opinion, in the last ten years. Mm. I don't personally think so. Mm. I would say, for example, Up for animation is a truly great animated film, but trying to place something like that into the world of cinema historically, yeah. I don't think you can call Up a great. I don't think anything we reviewed during our podcast could be not, could be called um, a truly great movie. I think Nymphomaniac is one of the truly great Danish movies that's, that's ever been released. Yeah. Um, but again, would you put? Would you say that was a truly, truly great, great, great? I mean, no, not no. Really. I don't think you can, can you? So I think they're few and far between. But I think so. Might you, might you, what might you as well just put Gravity at thirty-five and be done with it? I mean, put yes. Frozen on there. I mean, what? It's an empty list in a sense. It's it's, it's a bizarre list. It's almost like a, a more of a list of 
people's likes who are of a certain age. Well, but the problem, but with with any list like this, what you're going to get are people voting for their favourite film. Now, favourite does not equal grace. Yep. Now, I am going to ask you what what you would put as number one, Paul. For me, I it would be a toss up between Lawrence of Arabia and Casablanca. Neither of those two are anywhere close to being favourite films of mine. Mm. But you know, because I'm sitting in this chair doing this, mm. talking to you, and everybody listening. Mm. I can kind of take myself back analytically and kind of look at the films and kind of put them into that picture that you need to do for a list, voting for a list such as important as this, and say, you know what, I'm not a huge fan of Casablanca or Lawrence of Arabia, but the pair of them did so much for cinema at the time. One was extremely long, which no one thought he could ever do. (laughs) It always had to be And the other one has just been quoted to high heaven, so you cannot ignore it for that reason either. And, and of course, yeah, Citizen Kane is 33. And, and indeed brought out... And to me, a great film is a film that changes the genre or is right. the first of its kind that affects things that come after it. And there's very little of that in the entire film. You know, and even things that you think, oh, well, perhaps Jaws did that a bit. I would say George was the, Jaws was the first to commercially exploit it. It wasn't the first to do it. There was lots of low-budget exploitation films of the late 60s, early 70s, that did that kind of terror stuff a lot better. Uh, 12 Angry Men, I think. Yeah. Again, uh, a kind of very static theatrical piece, piece became a very interesting cinematic piece. But otherwise, there's very, very little. Not that they're not good films, not that they're not enjoyable. Of course. Most of the list is. You know, I've, I've sat through most of them, I've paid to see most I think of them. We're probably, I think we've seen 95% of this list yeah. easily. Easily. Yeah. As for most of our listeners, I'm sure. Um, but it's... Uh, I mean, some comments. Now, th- th- this is what I've enjoyed the most about this news. Mm. I'm, I'm going to cloak some of you guys by the name of Clark Kent, mm. so who's obviously probably a little bit miffed that Spider-Man is uh, not well represented in this 301 greatest films of all time. <laughs> or even Superman. Or, even, uh, or Superman, <laughs> I should say. But you probably, yes. Oh, what a podcast this has been. Um, <laughs> oh, you can't do perfection every time. You can't, no. They we, don't we, want perfection. Our we, listener doesn't want perfection. We only got to, we haven't got to 10 by being perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what we say. He quote, I quote what he wrote underneath this list. Man of Steel, mm. Prometheus, whoever voted for these need to have their internet privileges removed immediately. Well, well said. Well, I, I, I think that the, the key one there is Prometheus. Yeah. How that would make a list of the top 5,000 movies yeah. is, would be baffling on any level whatsoever. I honestly think a lot of people who voted for that, that was the last film that they saw at the cinema yeah. and it stuck with them for yeah. that reason. And it probably turned them off cinema for probably. the rest of their life. <laughs> but the, as, as a dying breath, just tip-tap away and put it on the thing. Um Another one, just just to sum everything up with this Empire list thing, really. The wonderful Johnny24, with the comment of the year, I would say, and probably one of the favourite things I've read this year. This list was always going to suck balls. (laughs) Johnny24, if you're one of our Empire listeners, I salute you. Because I think that is the point. I think even Empire knew this was going to happen. They won't do it again, because they know that this is not, by any way... An accurate representation of cinema. Absolutely, absolutely. Except perhaps commercial cinema. Commercial cinema, and, and, and which is not what we're about. Yes, it's not what we're about. To me, it's not what great cinema's about either. No. But again, if you want, I think it's almost a replica list of the top three hundred grossed movies. Could well be. Of orders, Could it? well be. And I think that's a sad statement of anyone picking that in a in a supposedly a film. It is a rather sad statement, but it gives us something to talk about. 
and, and in a sense, again, it's probably it's it's obviously great publication advertising for the Empire magazine. So uh, that's that. Let's move on. Speaking about cinema that no one wants to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's your list. It's my list. <laughs> you weren't so bloody good last time. No, I no, no. Well, I'm, I'm being hard. Yeah. You will be surprised. I, I, I think you. I think I'll surprise you myself as uh, well. We'll see. The Rocket is a film based in Laos, East Asia, and focuses on a young boy called Alor, who is deemed to be a cursed twin, as per uh, Laotian beliefs. Uh, The film follows him and his family as they try to settle in a new village, culminating in them entering a rocket-building competition to earn money so they can can own some land to plant some mangoes for his dead mother... (laughs) As well as proving to his family that he isn't the cursed twin. It sounds like a sentimental film, and, and that's it because is. it is. However, I didn't think it was too bad. For one very, very specific and important reason. And in fact He's it's gone a, blind for it's a right. reason it's a reason that elevates this film <laughs> to my second favourite film of the week. And I did not expect this within the first half an hour of watching The Rocket. Then we, then we come across Uncle Purple. Now, Uncle Purple represents what this film's really about for me. It's a film that looks at the American influence in war-torn parts of East Asia. For example, Vietnam, Korea, and all the surrounding areas that also had to, had the fallout of them wars. Uncle Purple is called that because he is... We're not going to reveal his secret, but he's a James Brown fan. Yeah. He dresses like one. He looks like one. He is... For all intents and purposes, a James Brown character in this film. He is but one reason why this film... Well, the only reason this film is worth taking a bit. Because he has a much-needed slice of humour to it. I think it's genuinely funny. I think it's the best character I've seen in quite a long time. Um, He also adds into that whole American war East Asia thing. Along with the language that everybody speaks in the film... There's an awful lot of Western swearing in there. Mm -hmm. An incredible amount, amount, including also things like bombies. Describing the bombs as bombies, which is interesting. And of course, the rocket building itself. I somehow doubt that if it wasn't for the Vietnam War and the Korean War, people from Laos would not have rocket building competitions. Well, we don't have them in England. No. We haven't been to war for a while. No. Or any knowledge of how to use sulphur and all the rest of it. Indeed. Um, So that... I liked the, all that side. I didn't like the sentimentality. It was too gushy. You can tell the director goes by the name of Kim Mordaunt. <laughs> I am guessing that's a female. I think it is a woman, actually. Um, and he has got that feminine touch. But as I say, thanks to Uncle Purple, and I'd like to hear your side of that, this is my second favourite film of the week. It's my second favourite film of the well, week. Well, there we go. How about that? And it's a good film. Yeah. I, But it's a certain kind of film. It is. You have to like sentimentality. But again, it's done very well. It's a triumph over tragedy, yeah. hope over despair. All of those kind of things are thrown in there. Thrown into a kind of post-Vietnam War element of a contemporary society. Yeah. Uh, and so the thing that does raise it up is the purple yeah. man. I loved the James Brown. I'm a big fan of James Brown, but the con trust of the James Brown yeah. Munich music in this in context this... works so well that it made you sit up and you think, man, that really works well. That's fantastic. And the best thing in the film is the chase, which we're not going to talk about because I don't want anyone, I don't want any Uncle Purple stuff to come out as spoilers. <laughs> so, but when it, when the little kid has been chased for something, yeah. and 
he, he is Uncle Purple is doing something whilst that is happening. It is fantastic. It's my favourite scene of the year. There's lots of ridiculous bits <laughs> where he'll do something and you think he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't know how to do yeah. that. He's a child. Even in that context, that that you know he. It, but he, he, the child actor was very good. It was good. I think the father, the grandmother, the mother... The grandmother was so hateable, she was good. What happens to the mother <laughs> shocked me. Yeah. Uh, because I wasn't expecting it. No. I hadn't read anything about it. And at that moment, you think, ooh. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. I thought, if it made you stop and think, ooh, that's quite good. So, and I thought it was well-directed. It's a quality product. And I enjoyed it. I, it's not great art. It doesn't tread new ground. And in fact, it's a reworking a lot of a kind of American uh, happy ending kind of story. Indeed. In many, you know. This is, by all means, the cliched ending. You know what's going to totally, happen. Totally. But like with Metro Manila, you know, you kind of know... Metro is a bit more more difficult to predict. In fact, I didn't get it right at all. So mm. that was me wrong. But in terms of cliched endings that you know are going to end a certain way, either they're going to end happily or they're going to end with, you know... Well, I think Metro Manila is a good good parallel one because Metro Manila was much better because it was about more characters. Yeah, yeah. So it had greater depth and it had things that you weren't expecting that didn't go the way conventionally it would. This is really only about the yeah. little boy. Yeah. And the others are all incidental characters. They may come forwards and backs and they may have their little secrets. But fundamentally, <coughs> it's about one character. But yeah, the ending is so. But it's short and sweet. It, it, yeah, yeah, it's so. not too long. It, it's um. Well, I, I suspect a film length thing will come up later on. And I've got things to say to you about that. But um, again, like Metro, it doesn't matter that the ending is as it is because it's well done, Absolutely. and you and you into the characters yeah. by then. And actually, I think for an ending of this type. You know, the, the Spielberg panning... No, it, it doesn't pan away, thank God, and there are no violins, but that kind of ending... It's much better than a lot of endings I've seen. It was actually quite emotional. Uh, but equally, I would say, and we said this about Ant War, Ant Boy the other week, if you've got young kids, not not very young, but, you know, 10, 15 This years is a great old, history lesson as well. But equally, it's a good film to get those yeah. into watching subtitled foreign language yeah. films. Because there's a cracking little story, it goes at a pace, I think they'll connect with the kid, and so I would say, again, if you want to get your kids, rather than you hiding in your attic, watching your subtitles films, and you're with your family thinking you're a pervert... Have you got a camera in my room? (laughs) (laughs) I have, but I know you don't watch foreign language films. Anyway... But I think, again, this is a fantastic film to do that, mm. which, again, tells you all you need to know about the film, really. Yeah. Uh, and it is enjoyable, and I think... We recommend this. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's, it's, it's a nice, it. smooth film. Mm. It flows nicely. There's no... Absolutely. There's no real controversy for you to get wound up about. There's nothing for you to get wound up about about it not being controversial enough, because there are some scenes that are like, whoa. Yep. Yep. Um, there's some good and, shocks and as lo- you said there's a history lesson and I think light and shade is so important it doesn't appear in one of these bloody films we're going to talk yep. about later on yep. need light and shade this has it in spades well done Kim well done The Rocket and yeah we recommend it won't we and I hope, it, I hope it comes to our cinemas actually I think yes. it should I think it should I think it should and I think it'll do quite well um, next up uh, the story sorry A Story of Yonosuke uh, do you mind if I keep calling it on a scale? No, I don't mind what you call it. Excellent. I think you should call it Yokomishiga <laughs> Kogusko. But, you know. <laughs> but then well, that wouldn't be its proper title. Uh, it, it, it ain't quite. Um, <clears throat> Yonosuke uh, is about. Shall I start? 
No, I'm starting. I'm, oh, start. right. I'm, start, I'm starting them all. Oh, all right, no, I'm no, starting them all. I am starting them all. I'm putting my foot down on this. The story of Yonosuke is about the story of Yonosuke. His character's life is played out in a series of flashbacks. Yeah. As he goes to university, he gets his first job. He falls in love, and he dies. I thought this was an absolute masterpiece. The, I, this I, is getting I, incredibly I, disturbing. I am putting this. This amongst... is getting so disturbing. <laughs> We're going to have to end these podcasts. <laughs> this. Paul, I'm putting this with Computer Chess and Nymphomaniac as the best films I've seen this year. I this was, And it was a total surprise. I had no idea that a two and a half hour long Japanese movie like this was going to impress me so much. It's a film that works on so many levels, light and shade throughout. Entertainment, great. There's lots of entertainment in there, lots of humour. Story, love interest. If that's all you want in a film, you've got it. But intellectually, what we're going to talk about... It's got so much stuff. Now, one of the films that we're going to talk about later on hasn't got any humour, hasn't got anything but intellectualism in it, and I cannot stand films that are like that. You've got to have a balance. And in fact, the intellectuality, got to, the intellectualism, sorry, has got to come secondary. But if it can work in conjunction with entertainment, then you've got yourself a brilliant film. Because this film, actually, from the outset, why, is this, why are they doing a two-and-a-half-hour film on this Yonosuke? What is so special about him? And it's when you realise that he's an extrovert in an introverted society that we've seen so many times in films. The Japanese are depressed. Everything is square. The corners of rooms are square. The streets are square. Everything is so clinical, introverted. There's, there's the societal thing. There's class in there. The relationship that I mentioned already that he has, he fell in love for the first time. She lives in this beautiful house that has a maid, whereas he lives in a tiny little apartment. They've got Japanese society in there. It's a relationship that I want to talk about a bit more before I pass over to you as well, because unlike a lot of relationships in films... I'm happy with you talking. <laughs> relationships in films are always obviously about getting the leg over. This doesn't have any sex in it at all. It's a relationship that remains completely innocent, even when they get to university age, where you should be getting your leg over with any luck. <laughs> totally endearing characters. Less of your life. At Indeed. It totally, the characters are totally endearing with this and it fits into the innocence of, you, of the youth in Japan being corrupted. Except these children don't quite get corrupted and yet one of them dies anyway, Yonosuke. Lots more to talk about before we finish this review off, but I'm going to get your initial thoughts, Paul. I know you're going to tell me this ain't a masterpiece at all. I think it's a masterpiece. Oh, you do? I do. I thought it was Good absolutely on brilliant. My quibble bits are slightly bit too long, but I, I, not much. I would admit exactly the same. You know, because I think... Ten uh, minutes, I reckon. Yeah, two and a half hours is a long time. Yeah. And I think it's a fraction too long. And there's the, the occasional scene you think, you could have done without that. But I, I think it has all that you'd said it has. I don't have a problem with intellectualism. No. It's pure intellectualism. Not, not by itself. Uh, I... Except in crap films. Well, like right. We're talking about later. <laughs> <laughs> But it has. No, we're looking at you. We're looking at you, nobodies. <laughs> we are. It, it, it is exactly what you say it is, and I think it's one of the best Japanese films of the last decade. Uh, I think it's. It, he describes himself as about being an ordinary person in every way, and he's more than ordinary. He's extraordinary in his ordinariness, and I think it's about the effect. We can all take from it about the effect we have on people's yeah, lives yeah. just by walking past them. And it's that, that whole kind of chaos theory that a butterfly flapping its wings to make someone smile at something 30 years later yeah. is, is fantastic. And I love the fact that it goes 
forward and back in time, not not time travel, but looking at the effect and, and you never get lost though, do you? You don't. It's actually done well. Yeah. I, I get lost quite often with these things, but not with this film. Uh, this is terribly sexist, but the women were all beautiful. Well, they are absolutely. Japanese and women it's are. kind of like because I, I tend I've not really thought about that in the past, but. I have He's... many, many times. <laughs> Again, that comes back to your bed <laughs> late at night. But it's, uh, it, they were startlingly beautiful. Again, nothing special, but just wonderful. And it was partly because of the way they acted, the whole nature of the film. And again, it's got the class in there. It's got uh, rural over yeah. kind of urban, because yeah. he's an urban, he's a country boy. Yeah. And I was terribly afraid that it was going to veer towards that he would have some medical kind of diagnosis. Ah, yes. Right. You know, yeah. and I was so glad it didn't. And it was just about him being an ordinary, decent human being. And it was brilliant. And I loved the fact of every contrast parallel. There was lots of other people in it who had relationships either with one another or with him, but their relationships with one another came out of the links with him. Yeah. And... It was excellent, yeah. uh, and I think there is nothing bad to say about it. Again, the tragedy is virtually no one here will see it, and and that is a true tragedy because it is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's old Japan versus new Japan for me. Yep. you've got, for example, what I mean. This comes through at the university in the university is because rather oddly enough, his university has a samba class, and being the extroverted, extraordinary person that he is very outgoing, very enthusiastic about all things. He, he takes part in the Samba class. And as the film goes on, you learn that the Samba class starts to have less, people start to drop out less and less and less. Like this, this giant depression that is New Japan, it, uh, sorry, that is Old Japan, is kind of swallowing up anybody who tries to have a decent life, including, of course, the suicide of somebody who jumps off a bridge in the film, mm. which then causes the death of Yonosuke. Mm. So... Yeah, he does the samba class, he gets into a relationship, and even that isn't enough to stop old Japan winning. He dies in the end, young. Mm. I just think that's an absolutely chilling message. But equally, it wasn't sentimental. No. I think that no. was one of its strengths, unlike the previous one. Because you find out, you find out about his death, where one, of his old character, where, where, where one of the characters you grow up, uh, has grown up, and you hear about it on a radio news bulletin, yep. in absolute silence. Yep. In a dark radio studio, fantastic, and, and it handles all of the key moments brilliantly well. For example, when um, the the go back to the girl who um, shot, of course, she left the rich girl. The rich girl she left to go to Paris again. Another thing about which comes into our Korean film later on about people wanting to get out of Korea as soon as possible. Same with Japan, I would guess. But well, we know it's pretty much the same thing to get away from this old Japan, this this pressure, this, this dour kind of live, way of living. Um, heavily politicised and controlled way of living um, but she leaves and then she comes back and she gets given his um, some photographs because he became a photographer later on in life and the way that those are handled you don't at that point you don't know what the photographs mean mm. you don't know what they look like and then the way, the way the film ends it was so emotional I didn't get emotional about it it left me stone cold it was so emotional yep. it was beautifully beautifully ended I, I think one of the key things in it, and I agree with you all on that, uh, but to me, I think it was it was equally about how you can make the choice to be happy. And 
I would say that's by and large true, with a lot of caveats that you know about different kind of things, politics and all that kind of stuff. And the best thing that shows that is is that there's people there who've got into that university because they got turned down for the one they want, and so their plan is to do this year and then up their grades so they can go to the one they want. So it's about aspiration, and that to me is part of the modern Japan, always wanting more, always wanting better or something. And he is sort of saying, well, it's actually better if you're just happy. Yeah. Because he's he, he got into that university as well, or he didn't, but he's not striving to get back into it. He's accept, he's accepted his lot, and I, and I don't want to get too caught up in that because one shouldn't accept your lot on a kind of political level. But you do have to make choices in life. And one of them is to be miserable, sad, bitter and twisted, or happy. Yeah. And he makes that choice. And it spreads happiness. And it is a joy to watch from beginning to end. And indeed, the newer generation have to bring this happiness to Japan. And the older guys, the older women, the older men, who are living until they're 80 and 90, are going to keep this old Japan there. It's, there's so much stuff there. I think you know. one of the things that might be a bit difficult for a Western audience, and I would say look it up on Wikipedia first, is the, I think they're called something like honorisms. Yeah. In that after everyone speaks to one another, they add the word san. san. Yes, yes. Uh, which is the equivalent of, in this country, calling someone Mr or Mrs. Yeah. But they do it to such an extent that even married couples will call each other Mr. and Mrs. But the children do it as well. And so there's there's emotional bits in it where they... You have to be in such a close relationship and see one another as so equal to choose not to use them. And it's worth... And I would recommend that you have a quick look on Wikipedia at Japanese... Something like honorisms. Or just write in San, S-A-N. The regimental way of societal living in Japan. Absolutely. And and that was fascinating because, again, we all in the West have this delusion that a lot of these Asian countries are uh, developing a kind of Western, immoral way. But they still have a lot... And there's a lot of dignity in it. It's not not saying, let's get rid of this, let's have modernism. It's saying, this is beautiful. If it is about respect, and it's not about power. And and, and I know an awful lot of people throw the word nanny state about, you don't know anything until you've watched this film. Yeah. Or even what the one we're going to talk about at the end, perhaps, but uh, yeah. certainly for this one, I think I think this might well be one of our <coughs> joint nominations for film of the year. I think it sounds think like it could, it could be. Well, so uh, you know, fantastic. A story of Yonosuke Yonosuke, directed by uh, Shuichi Okita, and yep. this was so good. I'm going to check out his other stuff, and well, and also very quickly, well done to him for this. this is based off a novel. Yeah. Now, two and a half hours. Um, Take away the few of the hooker scenes I didn't like. Take yeah. away them scenes. They were, they were a bit pointless. Two hours 20 would have been a million percent out of a million percent. As it is, it's still 10 out of 10. But that said, he did well to adapt what I would probably imagine is a hefty novel. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, and then still to make this hefty movie as good. But it, I think for us saying even at two hours 20 with the edits, it would still have been just as yeah. even, even more fantastic. That has been more finicky because equally, And I think, you know, yeah. normally, you know, I, I can get bored shit. 88 minutes, you want to well, do. Well, 20 minutes. Uh, some other films are like, well, nobody's daughter. It was like two minutes. But again, so, and it's that whole thing about length. Length can be important if the movie doesn't justify it. This one justify it. If you're a passenger on a train and the train ain't going anywhere interesting fast, yeah. then you are in for... But this, this is... Up so there you're going north, you mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> John O'Groats. But um, no, this, this is truly, truly outstanding. Let's move on to... Uh, and we both recommend it. 
Yep. Successful so far, although we know it's going to end badly. Um, Gabrielle, a story following Gabrielle. This is a Canadian-French film. Because you cannot say a Canadian film, because there is no such thing as a Canadian film. It has to be Canadian-Indian film, Canadian-French film, Canadian-American film. So this is a Canadian-French well, film. Well, most people just use the word crap. Uh, <laughs> and that sort of is intricately... But that's unfair. Well... That's unfair. Monsieur Lazare wasn't just, too... Just mis- not mis- in this case. No, Monsieur Lazare, <laughs> wasn't, Monsieur Lazare wasn't too bad. Well, you liked him more than I did. I did, I did. Uh, there's a decent Canadian-Indian film called Water as well, which I'd recommend. This is Gabrielle, anyway. Gabrielle. Ah. A story following Gabrielle, who's a real-life singer who suffers from Williams Syndrome, which is... Uh, to me, it's just a kind of learning disability. Isn't it like diabetes? Because she kept having to take like... I think she had diabetes as well. As well. But anyway. it is just a learning disability. It, the film is not really about disability anyway, although it's in it. Um, anyway. Well, it is. Well, it is, but it isn't. Uh, to me, it's purely about disability. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the film is about her, who suffers from this, and her relationship with a fellow singer in a disabled choir who go by the name of The Musings of Montreal as they prepare to appear in a festival supporting another real-life singer, uh, Robert Charlebois, who, if you haven't heard of, is apparently a big deal. But just to summarise, he's basically the Canadian Leo Sayer. Uh, well, I, I think he's bigger than Leo Sayer. He's up there with... What, a few inches taller, maybe? Uh, but he's definitely got more wrinkles, that's for sure. <laughs> but I think he's Same up hair. There. <laughs> <laughs> he's more of your Charles Aznavour stroke... Uh, who's that Belgian guy? There's a Belgian singer who said, uh, Dream the Impossible Dream. There, there's a kind of a whole kind of culture of people that age that I think are uh, Gilbert Burko and that that's why I put he's more he's he's more of a longer tradition of chansons rather than pop no. although he moved into pop he can't really carry a tune put it that way um, although I love the song uh, well, I did enjoy well, the song yeah well we'll see it's um, the only bright spot in a day yeah I, I actually I actually didn't mind this oh. If it wasn't, disappoint me. If it wasn't for Uncle Purple, this probably could have been my second film. Oh, oh, what I, basis. Thought it, I thought it was. I actually thought it. I actually thought it was well made. That I will say that much about it. Whether the disability, it's a disability film. So obviously, it's going to rankle you unless it's perfect. That is without doubt. Um, but the problem is, that, and this is a film with problems. That's why it's the only third on the list is that it represents what Canadian cinema generally is all about. <laughs> it's slightly vacuous and it's just a bit dull. <laughs> yes, it's well made, but it's not risky, it's not controversial, it's not very exciting, it's not intellectually challenging or interesting in any way. Considering mm. the subject matter, which you're going to go into in great depth, I'm sure, in a minute... There's quite a lot going on. There's a there's a mother daughter thing. There's the disability. There's the choir, but nothing really gets explored to any sort of climax that you could kind of say, "Well, I'm glad I saw a film about that." It was just yeah, the music was quite good. I like I like the choice of song at the end. If they would have chosen to, if they would because Robert Shoulderbar's has got there's two main songs in the film that he does. One is the one about the relationship on the airplane. Ordinary and... Um... The other one, and then the other one is Ordinary Me. Yeah. Ordinary Me. Now, if, that, if the film would have ended on Ordinary Me, I would have smashed my laptop screen. That would have been the most predictable, sugary sweet, ghastly ending. We're ordinary people, yes, really. Yes, but it ended on a bizarre one. It did, but that's much better than, hello, we're disabled, but we're ordinary, <laughs> really. Which, as you know, is the most predictable thing you can do in a disability film. Well, I would have said that would have followed the logic of the film, because right. that was the logic right, of the right. film. Right, <laughs> uh, And I thought it was so ordinary uh, that the main character had diabetes, and if you're not careful watching it, 
if you enjoy it, you will get diabetes. It is so sentimental and sickly. <laughs> it's problem for me is, is I think it thinks it's being radical. I do. Because it is about two people with learning difficulties wanting to have sex yeah. at the core. And they do have sex. And then there's the big sing-off at the end. The big singing at the end takes up like 20 minutes. It's just padded. So actually, it's only an hour. And he cannot carry... I'm sorry, he cannot carry a tune, Robert Cholabar. He, it's <laughs> He's struggling away there. Well, I think that it, that's just about having that him in it. And I, he is a legend. He is a true Canadian he is. legend. It's a vanity project. That, that we can't imagine how big someone like him is, especially when you see him. <laughs> uh, but, but, but I like this song. And I like that kind of song. I like those It was songs. okay. I, uh, oh, yeah. But again, it was irredeemably bad. I have seen this film... Tw- I've watched a lot of disability films. I know you have. And I've seen this 50 times. I, from crap TV stuff on Channel 4... To big feature films, Hollywood, BBC Two stuff, I Am Sam, Sean Penn. The list is endless, and this did nothing that was different. And Canada is a really progressive society. It is, and it's kind of like if this is what you think is pushing the boundaries, you need to step back because it was like coming out of a time warp of twenty years ago. Uh, from Canada, let alone from Britain. But or... but this but this is the point is that Canada doesn't really have its own point. It it <clears> has <throat> so much influence. Portugal, India, America, Italy, Spain. It just goes on and on and on. And it, and here France uh, France is the biggest of them all. Obviously, it it, it it cannot identify or get an identification for itself. So it, it just get this for this less for, this is. A bad French film. There's nothing Canadian about no, even it. Even the French couldn't make it this bad. <laughs> At least the French would have lots of sex from every other country. Uh, but, 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 right, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but the, it was just irredeemably bad. But the, it's kind of airy fairy, everything's <laughs> like the lenses are softly made. It's, it is quite French in its, the way that it looks and the way that it's edited. It's quite whimsical at times, like romanticised as well. I think it is quite French. Although, oh, you, you, a huge French film lover, you would obviously dispute that and, you know, hold the a sword. The French could not make as bad I a mean, film, yeah, it's, again, it, <clears throat> I, think, I think slightly, a, a vac- it's a vacuous film, I think, that speaks volumes of it. I mean, it, it's just... And it's a tragedy, because I think I quite like the young woman in it. Well, she's a star as well, isn't she, in her own way? Indeed. I, I, I really liked her. I, I did quite like the music, if it was, if only not, there was more, obviously. I mean, if it wasn't in the film, yeah. in the sense that I like that kind of music, but it was in here for purely sentimental, sickly reasons, that was to cover up a weak plot and a weak narrative. And the, basically, the plot was two people learning difficulties get together, and one of the mothers doesn't want it to have sex, and that is basically it. The problem is, and is they it, do have. Sex. Is it that the idiot? The idiot's already had sex in it. Yeah. And, and that was 1994, 1996, yeah. 1995, four, five, six. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know what though? I, generally speaking, this is going to blow your mind, but I'd recommend this. Would you? I, 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 and I'd recommend it because I knew you, I, I knew you wouldn't like it. Sort of. I was surprised how much I, I, I don't hate it as much as you. That's quite clear. But in terms of actual the way that the film is made, the way that it looks, and all the rest, of it, I actually think this is one of the bestly to look at one of the best films we've actually done. The re- it falls apart when you actually watch the film. But I reckon this would offend people a lot a lot less than Gold, The Deep, mm-hmm. and a lot of those 
kind that we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah. This is a lot more accessible. It goes without saying. Oh, totally. Put people between that and this and people will choose this all day. I'm not saying that's the right thing and I'm not going to advocate that, but I reckon that's without a doubt, personally. So I, <clears throat> I, I'm not going to not recommend it. That's no, what I would saying. not recommend it you, under any But you have got this this disability thing hanging over you. <laughs> I know, because to me there are so many better, no, of course there are. films but, that are better made. And, and anyway, I think, I think that's very interesting what you're saying about, about the look of it, and you quite like the look of it. Even that I thought was highly pretentious. It was trying to be a lot more kind of art house, yeah, handheld yeah. camera kind of thing that I thought, again, was just disguising the fact this is a weak story, a weak plot, and a weak film on every level. I, I, I would have thought it's a student's first feature compared to, say, the next film, which was uh, which is... Hopefully a, somebody's last. A, a student who should be thrown out of film school. Uh, there was nothing good about it. I thought it was irredeemably bad. And, it, and I, you know, I have watched a lot of disability films and I accept that I come from it at a different angle. But most people will have seen this film done better elsewhere sure just by watching the television sure and that that to me says this isn't a film I wouldn't recommend to anybody I'm half recommending it half recommending <laughs> just so you can see how bad it is if only for that reason um, moving on to our final review then which is that nobody's daughter hey one you've got to have a stinker in there otherwise it just wouldn't be the outside centre film podcast this is a film that follows the life of hey one who is a, who is a girl in this film so we followed we followed Yonosuke now we're following hey one after her mother leaves for da, 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 Canada. Canada. <laughs> Let's hope she doesn't get to watch Gabrielle. No. Hopefully she doesn't arrive at that, arrive at that really odd festival either, where, where there's nothing happening apart from... People say, learning if we've had the, sex under the stage. Sex under the stage. <laughs> old crooners singing. 70-year-old oh, curly-haired crooners and amusing as a Montreal. I, I must just say, I'm all for people learning because it's having sex, bringing up families. That, that's not my criticism. Obviously not. I'm, I'm no. for all that completely. But, but this, film, this film goes about it completely yeah. the wrong way. Nobody's daughter, um, Nobody's daughter, hey, one. Talk about light and shade. The only, the only light this film had was the light blue credits at the beginning of the film. This, I can honestly say, without a shadow of a doubt, is the worst film that we have ever reviewed on this podcast. It's a no- I thought you'd, you'd made a mistake. I I thought you thought that this was something else. And I, you got me to watch this by mistake. Do you know why I'm... Do you know why... I even contemplated... Of course, I don't watch films and then say we're going to review it. I say I'll get films to watch. Watch them in that order. Yeah. Um, I genuinely... I actually feel the need to apologise. And you should. I should do. I'm not going to, though. Because you <laughs> fucking owe me a few apologies as well. <laughs> but there is a quite a serious reason why I, I, want, I, I put this forward. Because in our previous guys' poll, we watched an excellent Korean film. Mm. Went by the name of Pieta. Yep. And that focused on Korean society... That focused on a relationship between a child and her mother, and all all that you have is family, and then you die. This film has exactly the same message, and an even worse message. It's actually a film about mental illness. But what I actually what I actually get from this is something. Is it? It's a film about mental, mental illness. That's, that, 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 that's the official line. But I, I, as you know, I don't I don't like to pay attention to the official line. But I the, I've actually got something worse out of this film. This is a 53-year-old male director who goes by the name of Sang Soo Hong, or Hong Sang Soo as they prefer to be called, <laughs> with a cynical, miserable attack on the next generation of Koreans growing up. 
it is such a horrible film attacking teenage youth. Mm. Why? A quote on there. I would rather listen to one song than read a hundred books. As if anybody in their right mind would say, as if a, a, a student, or because they're full of students, this film. A pretentious. Pretentious, pretentious intellectualised students. As if, and, and then it's as if someone would actually listen to one song than read a hundred books. Just painted them with these people. And then when, actually, when you actually hear the song that is playing, it's an atrocious song. And he just sits there playing it time and time again. Now, to suggest that the new generation of Koreans have no interest in their country, they have no interest in its history, because they use the nearby fort to have all of their arguments, don't they? They climb up to this bloody fort, sit outside of it, have their backs to this fort, paying no attention to it, whilst they talk about, like, sort of relationship with older men and older women and that kind of thing, backing away from this piece of beautiful history. Again, it's a cynical, miserable little film that's got absolutely nothing good going for it. What did you... I, I, there's lots I, I more would besides, say, but... if this was your <laughs> final year of film school and this was your dissertation film, you could get away with it. Just... And you could say it's a tribute to the French films of Eric Romer and those kind of pointless wandering around talking about your relationships. At least those French films had sunshine in them. That was the, what could be said. For this was irredeemably boring, dull. It was cynical, as you said. It was odd as well. It was. Uh, you. It was trying to build a character who... You just couldn't give a toss about whatever happened to any of them. That's always a bad sign in a film. And Jane Birkin appearing in a little pseudo dream sequence at the beginning was even more surreal because it was ridiculous and it made you think of the French films that this was trying to be that were so much better than this. This had nothing. Nothing. It reeked of cheapness. And again, nothing nothing wrong with that in itself, if you have other elements that build it up. It reeked of bad acting, and again, nothing wrong with that, if you've got story, narrative, decent-looking stuff. It was badly written, it was badly directed, and there was nothing one could say to redeem it in any sense whatsoever. And if it was about mental illness, it was about driving the viewer to want to top themselves. But... Uh, 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 th- you're not going to defend it in any way. Oh, absolutely not. All of the characters are utterly dislikable, as we said. Yeah. But why are they utterly dislikable? Now, here's the thing. Her mother goes, and as Korean cinema likes to tell us every single fucking film, <laughs> when your family dies, that's it. You have nothing else to live for, look forward to, to enjoy. That's fair enough. Are we saying that every single character in this film hasn't got family? No. And the film doesn't make that clear. So why is everybody so fucking miserable? Why is there that one man just spe- going up to that fort drinking? Why is there the, the, the one man listening to that fucking song all the time? And, and it, why it, is this older tutor who's in his 50s yeah. shagging one of his students? And to, to be her credit, she's a very beautiful woman, the student. Uh, you know, and you're sitting there thinking, this is pretty dubious stuff. And are you doing this to show it's dubious stuff? No. It was just another and again, random point. And again, then you add, you add into the fact that he is a 53-year-old male, and I don't know yeah. why he's making a film like this. You know, is he really saying that the future... Is he basically saying the career is fucked, 
and that, all the youngsters are basically going to leave. Well, in which case, who can blame him when you're stuck in a country that makes films this bad? What reason is there to stay? Except it was an old man who made the film. A young person would not have made this drivel. No. And I think that's the difference. And I think it was... It was a, a self-reflective bitterness rather I think than so. any insight I think so. yeah. into Korean society whatsoever. Uh, and I think I look forward to seeing the main woman in other things in the future because I think she could act. But just, oh God, I'm never going to watch anything else this bloke makes. No, it was just a trash. It was just, there, there was nothing. No, it, it and we've was... seen some South Korean films that, that explore a lot of things and have done it well. I think the one you said, Pieta. Yeah, but I think good. it's going to be one of that situation where we talk about a film, but most importantly, we recommend everybody to watch another film. And in this instance, I think people will actually really enjoy Pieta. It's not easy to watch at times. It's very violent. There's some really strange sexual moments and things. But as an exploration of Korean society, it does it far more cleverly, sympathetically, interestingly, in every single facet. And we, this week, bizarrely, we've got two weeks about students in Asian countries. Absolutely. A story of Yonosuke and this one. And the Japanese one was brilliant. Yeah, this was a disaster. It was lengthy. It was all of the things that I would normally see going against it. It was a lot... There was a lot of random stuff in Yonosuke. There was a lot of all that. But it's brilliant. Nobody's daughter home. Why? Why? (laughs) Why did they let him make it? Again, I'm not apologising, but you know know my feelings. I think it probably is one of the worst films. Oh, without a question. Without a question. You know, and we've seen some duffers. We have. So... uh, but From the pair of us as well, that's indeed, worrying. But uh, this, this is up there. This is... I thought it told you nothing about Korea. No, you don't. I, I would say that's another thing that I have a problem with. If you don't know anything about Korea, you still don't know anything about Korea. And it was almost as if this could have been made anywhere as equally badly. It just happened to be made in Whereas Pieta also has the urban versus the rural, which yep. Yonosuke yep. has. So, yeah, that, Pieta, P-I-E-T-A. That's what we're doing. We're not mentioning that other film ever again. Let's move on as we finish off then, Paul, to look back. Now... There is a reason why I wanted to talk about this. I mean, I've not seen it. I've not, I don't know anything about this film, um, Sound of Noise. Mm-hmm. But privately, you called this a masterpiece. And, and, and knowing that I called Yonosuke a masterpiece, this is why I wanted to bring this in. Because I didn't think you would also find Yonosuke a masterpiece. So now we're going to talk about yet another masterpiece. But that's fine. Sound of Noise as a masterpiece. Why? Well, basically, it's about a, a tone-deaf cop who works to track down... A crack of guerrilla percussion. It's a disability film. No, no. Who, who, who do performances in public. They terrorise the city with percussion. Right. Uh, and so, and then this policeman who is deaf tries to catch them. And so the whole thing is about music, but not music in the conventional sense. Right. M- music through using ordinary objects. And that could be a digger, a giant digger. Carhorn? A car horn, yeah. everything. Yeah. From that, from from forks to diggers. And there's a whole kind of digger kind of symphony in it. And it comes originally from a short called One Apartment and Six Drummers, which again is a short. I think it is on the internet. You can catch that. And this expands it into a film. I think often when a film that is a short is expanded into a movie, it kills it. Yeah. This one doesn't. doesn't. It adds a narrative. It adds an interesting narrative. I've never seen a film like it before that was so concentrated about its subject. It's well acted, well written, well directed, it's cinematic. And it came out in 2010, it's Swedish, it's quite long, 102 minutes. Is it, is it Swedish and Swedish? Yep. 
So subs good. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And you know, just want to check this was the right podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and so, because of all of those elements, the problem for it for an audience might be if you don't like the main premise of it, percussionist terrorists. <laughs> they will drive up somewhere, open the back of a van. Six drummers will suddenly start drumming to create terror. If you don't buy that, you will think this is the worst film you've ever seen. And that's fair enough. But I think if you give into it, it's fantastic. I think if you like music, because again, it's, there are proper music elements in it. You know, they, they, they compose and they sing songs. And there is a mass citywide musical experiment. Uh, and again, there's a thing about electricity that's not real if you did this. In real life, it would kill you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't kill them. So there, there are kind of things like that. But again, I would say I'd say see it, watch it, and enjoy it. I think you've just got to sit back and let it go over you. Is it made with, by, or contain anybody of note? Not particularly, and no. I think that's one of its strengths. I think if you watch a lot of, say, Swedish television or cinema, you'll probably recognise them. But they're not, they're not as recognisable instantly as the Danish guys are, Absolutely. are they? I mean, we can, roll, we can roll off Danish actors and people know who they are, but the Swedish ones, yeah. yeah. They don't travel about as much either, do they, to be frank? They don't. I know they, they, they do occasional Norwegian films, because I know like Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that last time. It's not quite the same travelling from <laughs> hopping across to Norway than it is to hopping to France or somewhere. But so. I, I found that interesting, because... I think their languages must be so similar. Oh, and I don't know because I'm an idiot. But and I think it's all of those elements that come together mm. that make it a fascinating film, an original film. Oh, certainly original. And if Sam. you buy into it, it's a great film. Yeah. How how is it? How does it look? What visually? What have we got here? I think is, it, is, is it a fairly standard looking film, or are there any special effects there? No, or? there's virtually no special effects, and I think that's its strength as well. I think it's not a big budget film, no. you know, and I think it's, it's... It's not handheld either, is it? No. Is it, oh, no. it's just standard. Yeah. yeah, it's standard stuff. It looks good, it feels good, and you'll feel happy at the end. Has this, has this film made you watch any of the director's other stuff? Uh, not in the sense that I don't think he's made anything else. Oh, this is one and only film, right. Pretty much, and I think there's, there's not much that any of them have done since. Uh, which, again, is, I think is a good thing, because I think... Often, I think they are real musicians in it. Who folk, I imagine if you're Swedish and you know the kind of pop uh, classical Absolutely. culture, yeah. you probably know all of these people because I mm. think they are all very well known. And equally, a lot of Scandinavian countries do have very successful alternative music scenes, by which I mean ukulele bands, uh, drumming groups that just drum mm. that do very successful within their own countries that again we don't really have we haven't been to the ukulele stuff but only because they play uh, George Ford we do stuff. it out of sympathy yeah <laughs> there's no real cult this is about yeah. originality and I think it's rare that you watch a film and you think god I've never seen anything like this before just just by you just by you describing it it does sound very very different it is so I think it is. We'll, 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 we'll recommend that instead of Nobody's Daughter Hay one for this week. Absolutely. I think so. Uh, speaking of uh, recommending, we'll be doing all this again in a couple of weeks with Paul, a World Cup special. A World Cup We're going special. to do three, hopefully four, but definitely three football re recent football films, as well as looking at news, as well as looking back at something, probably another discussion on footballing films or something like that. Do come back to us in a couple of weeks. Enjoy the first few matches of the World Cup, if you're into that. And in the podcast, we'll tell you who's going to win. Argentina. <laughs> Go on. Let's do it now. Uh, I would say Uruguay.
And on that bombshell, <laughs> I'm going to turn this off.